1: coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hey, it's David Rothkopf. It's uh, Thursday when we tape this uh, episode. Uh, We are at our super-secret New York studio on McDougal Street. Very cool Happening location, uh, which is appropriate given this podcast. I am joined in the studio today by Kate Brannon of Just Security. Hi, Kate.
0: Hi, David.
1: Um, who um, uh, actually is the first connection we ever had with Just Security because Kate used to work at FP and she then did. went over there and then I watched as as things prospered. Of course, every Thursday we also have her uh, colleague, the co-editor of Just Security... Ryan Goodman, hi Ryan, where are you? You're in hiding, you're at a secret location.
2: A very secret location in Brooklyn, New York.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, you know, that's that's also very hip. And somewhere um we have uh, our friend Harry Litman, who is the host of Talking Feds, a former US attorney. Where are you, Harry?
3: Well, all I can say is the sun is shining, but I'm basically in Ryan's uh, witness protection program, and I can't really say more <laughs> than
1: that. Oh, I didn't know you had one of those, Ryan. I talked to you about that after the uh, podcast. Um, you I, have to I, ask. I, well, I, well yes, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of other things have been up and down in the news this week, but one of the things that's been up in the news this week is a remarkable scoop that was uh, engineered by Kate uh, looking at uh, some of the documents, uh, the unredacted documents um, uh, that had gone back and forth between OMB and the Department of Defense um, regarding withholding the funds from Ukraine, uh, there were some real smoking guns in these uh, documents, uh, and they, the 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 story uh, has caused a sensation. Congratulations, Thank Kate. You. Um, uh, from you know uh triggering debate in washington they were mentioned by the uh, minority leader uh chuck schumer uh uh, triggering a an an editorial in the new york times they were mentioned in the new york times they even gave you guys credit they didn't take all the credit for themselves which was uh, um unusual Unusual. very, very unusual for them to do that um and uh you know uh There are some who think that the President of the United States undertook uh, this attack on uh, Qasem Soleimani to uh, distract attention from the intensity of the impeachment debate. It has not succeeded in distracting attention from this story, which continues to get coverage and to be um, debated. And I'll begin with, Kate, are you surprised by the legs the story had?
0: I am. I wasn't prepared for the impact, partly because it happened over the holidays. So um, I had to kind of squeeze in time to do it. And then, um, you know, I knew it would be big, but I wasn't quite ready for, you know, it to take off as big and as quick as it did.
1: Um, Still, it's kind of exciting. I've seen, you know, you've been on various shows and podcasts and other kinds of things. And, uh, you know, since... We do this with just security. I'm glad you could find the time, <laughs> Ryan. I'm glad you had the influence, Ryan, um, with Kate to to, to 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 get her here. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, you know, are, are, are the big takeaways from this story, um, perhaps with a focus on those that may not be fully appreciated?
2: Sure. Um, I think the one big takeaway is that the emails point the finger directly at Trump and they demonstrate what's absent from the White House pushback that the way uh, Mike Carpenter um, put it on Twitter and he had served in the DOD uh having the Ukraine file um, was that the OM it was that the Pentagon was raising the legal concerns with OMB saying we can't hold the aid and we have to spend it now. Otherwise, we'll not be able to send all the funds to Ukraine by the end of the fiscal year under the law. And the only response back from OMB was um, clear direction from POTUS to continue to hold. Um, In other words, whatever your legal argument is, the president says, do it. Um, And not even any kind of a legal answer on the other side. So I think that really... Kind of bring something new to the table as well as hard evidence uh, that was a little bit already on the table, but now we have in emails uh, directly pointing the finger at Trump. I think that's one big part of it. And then the second big part of it is, in some sense, the cover up um, that the emails demonstrate time and again uh, that OMB, and especially OMB's general counsel and uh, their lawyers, are. Misleading the public, misrepresenting um, what's going on, both in terms of the internal process, of that there was this real serious concern that the funds would not be able to go out the door, and um, that there was uh, a real fissure between the White House and the Pentagon. And that's evident from the emails because the uh, controller at DOD is basically saying, or not basically, she's saying, um, that. Things like the talking points that are coming out of OMB are, quote, unquote, just not accurate, end quote, to respond to the Politico story that broke the, that broke the news that, the, that there was such a hold. She says that the general counsel is consistently um, misconstruing um, the internal process uh, in terms of the, these uh, legal holds. And uh, that she basically is a a, kind of a whistleblower in that the OMB comes off looking quite bad. And then the the last part of that is that if you add that all up and then look at the OMB's final hour letter that they sent just on the eve of the House Judiciary Committee vote on the articles of impeachment, it seems to include false statements, um, including the idea that there was no uh, daylight or discrepancy between um, OMB and the Pentagon over the threat to the ability to get the funds to Ukraine. So I think that's another piece of this that will still have legs, in addition to what we've already seen people focus on.
1: Well, I think one other, and, and I'll come to you in a second, Harry, but I want to just sort of finish rounding out their sort of fleshing fleshing out of the, the scoop, uh, and then go to your question about consequences. But, but Kate, another thing that is is, is striking is what was redacted.
0: Yeah, and it gets to what yeah. Ryan's talking about, cover up, I think. And I, th- if I'm to guess, kind of why the story was as, you know, had as much um, power as it did, was it showed um, what the administration is trying to hide. And I think it sort of gave readers the ability to take that back from them. You know, it lifted the veil on what they'd blacked out. And everything they'd blacked out, you know, I got these emails, and it was 146 pages of emails. First I had to um, put them in chronological order, and then I had to read through and understand what they said, and then I had to go to the redacted copies, which were online, they'd been given to the Center for Public Integrity under court order, and go through each, you know, thing that I was reading and going, wait, did this ever originally see the light of day? No, that was blacked out. And it quickly became clear that it was everything embarrassing or incriminating to the point where um, only one person's side of the exchange was being blacked out. So it would be McCusker saying, uh, by the way, have you started impoundment paperwork, meaning the paperwork um, to address the fact that we're going to lose this money at the end of the year and violate the Impoundment Control Act. That was... Uh, blacked out. And then Duffy's response saying, no, that's not on my radar. We could read that. And then McCusker saying, yeah, the legal teams brought it up last week, blacked out. And so the idea that this was, you know, redacted for any other reason other than it's the worst stuff and um, it's the very stuff that they're trying to hide. Um, So, yeah. And it speaks directly, too, to the um, article of impeachment about obstruction, which I think is what House leadership and um, Senator Schumer seized on as well.
1: So one of the things, Harry, that has come out of all of this is people have been, um, uh, metaphorically at least, patting Nancy Pelosi on the back and saying withholding the articles of impeachment has made a lot of sense because the story has now moved forward since um, uh, the impeachment articles were voted. Here we now know something more. We also know that um, uh, John Bolton has said he would uh, be willing to testify to the Senate— Um, I didn't really understand that's the way the law worked and that you could ignore the subpoenas you don't (laughs) want to go to and that you could, you know, pick your venues that way. But apparently John Bolton is extremely um, powerful and all-knowing and and has these kind of options available to him um, without, like...
2: Maybe he would just answer questions from the Republican senators.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll see. We'll see how that works, right? He might. Um, But uh, 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 that... You know, has also suggested that You know, this is a different situation than it was before Kate broke the story, before John <laughs> Bolton um, uh, made made this statement. And you know, I guess the 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 big question now is, has Nancy Pelosi held on to these articles long enough? Uh, she today, the day we are recording this, said, uh, "I'll hand them over when I'm good and ready." Um, uh, but some of the people who said hold on to them are starting to say, uh, "No, nah, I think we've gained all the benefit we can out of this. Let's move forward." Including uh, one of our our, our sometimes guests, Larry Tribe. So, where where do you come out on all that here?
3: Okay. Well, um, first, I just want to say I I agree with everything Kate and Ryan said, and, and especially joining with the kudos for the remarkable writing. You know, a couple quick points to what they I, I do want you to, I
1: said. do, I do want you to know that as Kate is taking notes during this, you gain little sort of insights into how she works as a journalist. And I noticed that she's taking notes in blue crayon, <laughs> um, <I don't, laughs>
3: with little stars and smiley faces. Yeah,
1: no, I don't. I was, uh, it's all I had things, in my bag. Just a which few speaks things to, to add the that I think
3: are are important here. First, on the redactions point that she just made, it's a startling uh, feature of this because what it means is that the sort of political rot, and we're talking not simply about over-aggressive or promiscuous redactions, but really deceptive redactions, redactions that, that, that any the person doing the redacting had to understand would have left a uh, misleading impression, presumably were done at some kind of rank-and-file level by the poor guys in the garrets at the... At the um, uh, level of FOIA redactions. So either that, or perhaps the White and Ryan and I have spoken about this previously. The White House Counsel was able to get involved in the process, and even such a bureaucratic workaday function as this was not immune to a politicization. So th- I think that's a pretty important point to raise. I also, for all the things that, that Nancy and Ryan said there, in addition, they show this kind of consciousness of guilt. You, you have Duffy saying, you know, don't, don't uh, publicize this further. And then finally, this is going to be really big going forward. It's the power of documents. Uh, you know, M- Bolton might or might not testify, and if he does, he might or might not go south. He is, he's squirrely. He's imperious but these documents we get them so rarely and they're so powerful you read this stuff on the page and do, you know from a prosecutor's standpoint documents don't go south on you you can really see the fight between OMB and DOD you can really see who's the bad guys and who's the good guys and it really should um, stiffen the spine of the Democrats to say, We don't just want Mulvaney and Bolton to raise their right hands. We want the documents that are associated with it. On the Pelosi point, I mean, we've heard we've heard actually conflicting things even today where you do have some people who I think are getting nervous and thinking we've secured enough. They surely haven't because at the end of this process, they lose all leverage. And it's, you know, in the lair of Mitch McConnell to do with, as he will. And I think he's basically snuckered the um, the, the three so-called moderates, you know, uh, uh, Romney and, and um, uh, Mikulski and uh, Collins, into thinking that this is just as they did with Clinton. It's not, in the Clinton case, all those people who testified again had testified already, But moreover, if they were to then say after introductory arguments, okay, we can close up shop now, you know, it's the exact opposite of when you close up shop. You close up shop when there's no more evidence to hear. So I think there's, you know, pressure within Pelosi's caucus. You know, give me there are some people who are campaigning who are going to be taking heat on this. On the other hand, as you say, the polling suggests she hasn't paid a price for it yet. 70% of the public still seem to want at least some more testimony so we'll see but um the the latest indications i thought were that she was you know she did say sooner rather than later and if it goes several more weeks it's just not sooner anymore and her credibility becomes somewhat on the line
1: do you have a view on this uh ryan
2: um i i agree with everything that um harry said i i I think that, um, I mean, it's interesting, you know, just in the last hour, um, Adam Schiff said that, quote, unquote, there's nothing to be gained from uh, trying to get Bolton to testify in the House. Um, so it looks like this is, it, cl- it cuts off that angle as well.
0: I have a question, um, though, because it it, li- I was going to say, if Bolton, you know, if McConnell doesn't allow Bolton to come testify, surely then the House would subpoena him.
3: But challenges in court would follow from the president in a way that they can't now follow in the Senate because it's textually committed to the the Senate. So I think they still have an ability to tie things up. Presumably that penny has now dropped for Schiff and, and Pelosi. But, you know, you're, you're, he'll look bad, but the White House won't. Of course, they'll take the political heat for doing the delay in that at that point.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I do think the... Action is now at the um, at the Senate, I, and and in a way, I agree with some of the analyses that have said that uh, McConnell has uh, shown his strength here. There's like a, this was a show of support of strength on his part, like the Kavanaugh um, hearing in which he was yeah. able to lasso all of the Republicans and no defections on the going forward with the current uh, process. On the other hand, I suppose that um, it depends on what the baseline is, and the baseline used to be that McConnell wanted it to be just a declaration that there will be no witnesses to rule out the possibility, and he certainly didn't get that. Um, All he's gotten is to have kicked the can down the road to have that decision come at a later stage, and we already have a sense that Mitt Romney might uh, go in the direction of wanting witnesses, but of course Mitt Romney... (laughs) <laughs> Wavers in the wind. Um, and so I think that that's part of it here. Um, and at the same time, I think, you know, part of what's got to be in the calculation of Mitch McConnell and I think is uh, kind of a wild card are, are pieces like Kate's, which is that he doesn't have such strong control over the process. Um, Greg Sargent had written a piece about this in which the drip, drip, drip or the um, revelations that will come between now and then, in terms of when they vote on whether or not have witnesses, now and then between whether or not they vote to acquit or convict, and then afterwards, um, there's going to be a lot of stuff dropped. There's still a lot that hasn't been revealed. There are, there are documents that are out there, um, as Harry said, and they're just uh, powerful, powerful reads, as, as you can see with the storm that took off from Kate's piece. Um, so I think that's, Something that's not in Mitch McConnell's control, and it also means that he's kind of fighting a losing battle in some sense. Because if he acquits in a sham trial, and then this stuff is coming out, it's there's no real vindication uh, for Donald Trump in that setting. With a lot of America, obviously, with some it won't make a difference. Uh, but I think that's part of the calculation. Here are the variables that are at play.
1: One of the things that strikes me that this piece reveals and this process reveals um, is that this is going to be a moving target and that whenever the Senate gets this, um, they will try to dispose of it. Uh, although the House has said in in, in various forums that they keep open the possibility of further articles of impeachment. Um, and I think the Senate and Trump and the GOP have a kind of a, a wish. You know, they go, they have a trial. The president is acquitted in the trial. Uh, and this is over. And they say it's all a big hoax. But one of the things that I think your story showed, Kate, was the level of animosity within the administration. I mean, there was a lot of mm-hmm. um, snark. You know, and, you know, the White House would say one thing, and at one point, one of the guys at the Defense Department is like something like, you've got to be kidding. You know, I mean, it's... You know, there's a lot of tension, and that's the kind of situation that suggests to me shoes will drop.
0: Definitely. It also... um is motivating people to talk to reporters. It's motivating people to share documents with reporters. Um, I think when these documents first came out and they were totally, not totally, but majorly redacted, that motivated somebody to share them. Um, And yeah, so there's no, I think, um, when it comes to loyalty in Donald Trump, I mean, on TV, it looks quite profound and uh, creepy. But behind the scenes, The administration is like roiling with tension and um, people getting thrown under the bus. And I mean, even Bolton himself clearly has some kind of I mean, he has a story to tell because he was in the room and had the conversations about um, about the Ukraine aid. But he also, you know, Trump said he fired him when actually Bolton says he resigned. I mean, there are all kinds of animosities and grudges uh, that Are motivating people and will continue to.
1: Yeah, and I'm not, you know, Harry, one of these people who's like, oh, let's get Bolton to testify. He's going to save the day. He cares more about the Republic than the party. And so, because he's never shown any, um, you know, uh, willingness to put you know, country before partisanship in the past. I don't see why he necessarily would do that
0: here. We might be putting book sales up before.
1: Well, that's, well, that's there's, that. there's, a, there's yeah. a lot of but, ways. But, but, but
0: what, has
3: it, what has it come to that our hopes now reside in John Bolton's <laughs> testimony? Uh, it's one of the reasons I, I make this, this point about um, documents. But Kate Shirley, right, I mean, Anonymous, says he or she will reveal himself before the election. You know, it, 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 it's a high level of, of snark in that in that administration, but will it come out in time to be part of the, the, you know, political judgment that the Senate is implicitly saying should supersede any kind of actual impeachment action, leave it to the voters? Well, the voters should be informed in that case.
1: Well, I think, frankly, Anonymous can go jump in a lake. I mean, uh, you know... You know, there was a time to reveal themselves. It was a long time ago. Um, there are other people who may come out of the woodwork. And I think what I was getting yeah. at, Harry, in my question is, you know, there is a strategy that that they can put this behind them. But it seems unlikely in this kind of situation that they can put it behind them. And it's not just documents. It's other people and it's other developments. And I think one of the risks that people talk about that the Republican majority runs in the Senate is that they don't have real trial. They don't have real witnesses. They uh, acquit the president, and more information comes out that would have led to a different outcome, perhaps. And the the craven nature of their cover-up, which is craven and a cover-up, looks that much worse as they approach Election Day. And, I, you know, it seems to me that the, that, that, that the risk of that in the era of Trump is, is infinitely high, is it not?
3: I don't know. I certainly would have said that, but, but then have, you know, um, experienced several junctures where you would have thought it would have, you know, come home to, to really clobber him, and it hasn't. Look, let's start with the facts. He's obviously guilty as sin. you know, as a prosecutor, you saw the procession or I saw the procession of Schiffs witnesses, people you know, career servants with no motive to lie. There's no doubt about the basic charges. There's no doubt about the withholding of the aid. there's no doubt about the um, in, about the attempting to have the Ukraine uh, intervene in the election. There's really no doubt that it was a false narrative. and yet, and it seemed so at the time, but now a couple weeks pass, and you actually have Republican senators with, saying with a straight face, "Oh, this is so thin, and there's nothing there." That's the last thing you would think, the last defense one could make. So, you know, is it possible that we're, we're talking always when we when we're gaming out November about what five percent or eight percent of the uh, peel-offable? voters. And so when Trump simply asserts it's impeachment light and there's nothing there and some of the senators do, can they get away with it? You know, I I would have thought, come on, no way uh, American people will see through it. But so far they haven't. I do think the verdict of history will be sharply against them, and they they in some way maybe understand that and are choosing some kind of short-term gain. But, uh, you know, the last couple years doesn't fill me with confidence. That the the, the the facts will not just the facts will out. They have outed, but they will persuade reasonable people. Because if they would, I would think they already would have.
1: Well, let me let me ask Ryan. Uh,
3: Hill, etc. Yeah. Yeah. No.
1: No. Well, and I think that I think that's right. Um, uh, and the Republicans, by the way, are continue to be sort of bald faced in the way. They're just yeah. you know the president is yeah. you know I mean it's slightly off this point but listening to Lindsey Graham characterize Donald mm. Trump's speech the other night um, his his brief comments on uh, the uh, the uh, situation with Iraq and Iran was was stunning I mean it, it sounded like he was going to yeah. compose a sonnet to the president uh, for his 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 his, his magical qualities um uh, and it's
3: Orwellian you know I mean it's the exact opposite
1: of the truth yeah right and and on top of that you know you had him entering and the light behind him and I mean it was it's we're, we're really really living in bizarre times
0: but even on this topic you had Marco Rubio say the other day now you don't introduce new evidence ever I mean, you stick to the the original evidence. Like they're being forced to say the craziest craziest, things—crazy things that are
1: completely insupportable (laughs) by anything. But so, so Ryan, one of the questions that arises, you know, in the in the context of all of that is, what happens, you know, you know, when they are revealed um, to have covered up? But but uh, there's a legal question that goes with that. You know, I mean, somebody made the decision to cover up these parts of these memos that were incriminating. Who? How high up did that go? Uh, the, the, the New York Bar Association today became the latest to uh, call for an investigation into the Attorney General saying he doesn't play f- fair. And of course, you know, the oldest um, cliche in Washington is it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. Um, and what is apparent now is the cover up is ongoing which means that new crimes are being committed all the time and that that creates certain legal liability too if not for the president then people around the president is he immune from that because the senate majority leader protect him and the attorney general will protect him or is there a compounding risk that's associated with compounding cover um yeah
2: so i I think that, I mean, there's one big problem, which is the ability of the public to understand or break th- for information to break through to the public. It's not necessarily the ability to understand, but just the information ecosystem um, about how the obstruction is taking place almost in broad daylight. Um, and, I, I mean, I think that the only real repercussions here seem like they will be Um, after this administration is over, and that people might need to start evaluating their liability as the clock ticks down towards uh, November, and um, there's no certainty that this administration will get a renewal uh, for another four years. And then um, all bets are off in in the sense of um, SDNY, I think, currently – Harry might disagree with me on this, but I, I think there's reason to think that they have been um, uh, constrained um, under bar, even though they're generally thought to have had a more independent um, basis for their actions. And I think, uh, you know, people like Giuliani and others who are within that jurisdiction, um, and then who are their associates, who are their associates, as well as, you know, this other question, or people in office, Are engaged in uh, potential criminal cover ups or obstruction of Congress and the like. I think some of that um, might get real um, later on, though. Uh, So it's that kind of a variable or it's uh, contingent um, on that. Um, Yeah.
1: Could Uh, I add one quick thing to that? Certainly.
3: Okay, so look, in a different Department of Justice, Michael Duffy already would have had to lawyer up, as would many people. Think about Watergate, even think about Whitewater. You do, you you do these. You you lie to Congress, or otherwise, criminal possible activity comes to light. There's the Department of Justice behind you that is opening criminal investigations, as indeed. It would have done. It, it's still a big puzzle why it didn't do when it received the whistleblower complaint here, which obviously outlined crimes against people other than Trump. There's this, you know very effective kind of pincer movement where where people are are pressured to tell the truth. there There is a little bit of a dynamic where a, a certain witness can bollocks up uh, a prosecution by talking to the Senate. That's sort of an inside baseball point. But here, that's 100 percent missing because Bill Barr's Justice Department will do nothing to any of these people. So there's no essential pressure. Sondland obviously was squirrely and probably committed perjury, but that's the end of it. in a different administration, however, can be under investigation. And Ryan's right. There could be repercussions in the next administration, but they'll be very tempered, I think, by the whole kind of some kind of political calculus and, and, and a general thrust, not 100%, but a general thrust to let's put this behind us, it'll feel very different. But what's really missing here is the pressure of the Department of Justice and the FBI to come in and do an investigation when it looks like criminal activity has been brought to light by the, by the legislature.
1: Well, that's, you know, daunting, uh, I have to say, as a personal view um I think yeah. that if the the, the, the president and, and Barr and McConnell and others get away with the behavior that they've undertaken in this matter um, as perhaps they may get away with the issues associated with the Mueller matter, uh, it sets a terrible precedent going forward. Uh, yeah. uh, but 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 you know Kate, um, you know Harry tangentially uh, and, and, and Ryan both, touched upon something else which is in the offing. And that is the Senate can go and do what it does. Nancy Pelosi will hand them the articles sometime. They will have a trial sometime. Um, they are prepared for outrage. It is, you know, it's it's not, it doesn't seem highly likely that this will be a fulsome hearing of the facts, right? But even with Barr's thumb on the scale. Something's going on with Giuliani. I was
0: just thinking that, yeah. and
1: And these other guys. And th- there may be, through that and through other mechanisms and in other venues, ways that these facts will be brought to light yeah. in other fora. I mean, do you, do you, do you agree with that? And what, what <laughs> could we look for in that front?
0: Yeah, as... <clears throat> I was thinking that there are all these other parallel tracks and inputs that will happen that are outside the control of, you know, this, the impeachment process, the FOIA litigation that's going on to get their hands on more and more emails. Um, After my story broke, uh, there are these emails between Mike Duffy and Robert Blair, who's Mick Mulvaney's um, chief of staff in the chief of staff's office. Um, And they're all OMB officials. You know, Mulvaney used to be the director of OMB, and Robert Blair used to have Mike Duffy's job overseeing national security programs. So they're all close from working together before. And so these emails between Duffy and Blair, um, the New York Times has sued for them. And the government, after my story broke, said, not only are we not going to release them Um, Redacted. We're not going to release them at all. And so the New York Times is going to continue its pursuit of those um, in court. And, you know, there are a lot of other FOIA lawsuits like that. Um, You've got Lev Parnas, Giuliani's henchman, speaking to the House Intelligence Committee. So you have all these, um, and I was even remembering, like, isn't there a second whistleblower? Like, there are all these other sort of things percolating out there that are going to pop up at uncontrollable, unpredictable times for the White House, for for Mitch McConnell, um, that are going to have, uh, if not an impact on the impeachment proceeding, an impact on the presidency and his, you know, chance for re-election.
1: Yeah, and you're, you haven't even gotten into the, the cases that don't pertain to this case.
0: Right, and I've also left out the fact that Donald Trump will continue to— have scandals of all kinds. Um, he might publicly ask China to inter- interfere in the election again, you know, like, or privately. Who knows? Um, so well, and also,
1: you know, Gene Carroll's lawsuit against exactly. him. Exactly. With the, they tried to get that thrown out today, and they, they the federal judge said no. So you know, these other these other things are out there.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Supreme
1: and, Court cases.
0: Yeah. Yeah, uh, right. McGann, the tax releases. You know, all this stuff is brewing.
1: Uh, so so let me shift the, 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 the focus a little bit, although it pertains to this. Um, Ryan, an- another thing that you folks have done a great job with uh, at Just Security recently is addressing the question, uh, and you particularly have done a great job with, the, is addressing the question about the legality of the President of the United States um, just bumping off foreign leaders whenever he wants to. And... and, and um, and uh, you've raised some important questions here, uh, and I think they're important in a couple of contexts. And the one is just the facts of this this Soleimani case. Uh, but I think they're also important in, in in the sense that there is a big push from Barr, from others within the administration, to advance on every front a notion. Of an imperial presidency, of a president who can mm-hmm. do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and this included Bolton, who you know is having tension with with with, with Trump, uh, and others saying, "But of of course, the the War Powers Act is unconstitutional. How could you possibly give Congress the authority to control foreign policy over the president, uh, ignoring?" the constitution and how the constitution specifically gives the power to declare war to the Congress. But, but so, so I think there's a, a Soleimani issue, but there's a bigger issue here. And I just thought it might be useful to have all of you guys address that starting with you, Ryan.
2: Sure. So, um, the most remarkable, I mean, some of the most remarkable, there's so many astonishing things about the Soleimani, um, operation is that there really is no congressional authority that would allow the president to do that. Um, And it looks based on the facts, that there was no imminence to whatever was the threat, which also seems to be no specific threat, uh, for them to take the action that they did. And so it is just one of these scenarios in which they must, according to our Constitution, go to Congress to get Congress and, the, and the, the people's representatives to determine whether or not they think it's a good idea to initiate uh, such an act of war. And the other part of it is that you know, the constitutional analysis on that question is about the potential escalatory effect of the military action, and who could think of a more <laughs> potentially escalatory Situation other than a nuclear armed Iran or like a nuclear armed state like Russia being the adversary in the situation. So it's just an astonishing, sickening affront to the constitutional system of how we as a country determine whether or not we're going to war um, or going to take and, and engage in an act of war or such a provocative act that it's likely to escalate into an all out war of a regional nature um as well so i think that's partly what's going on here and then lo and behold <clears throat> it's so audacious on their part that when they do the closed door briefing the senior cabinet officials uh do a closed door briefing with congress just yesterday it's so um devastating in terms of some con- members of congress actually finally waking up to understand what is really meant by this imperial presidency, which is uh, Republican Senator Mike Lee, for example, saying, um, sounding the alarms and saying uh, to the Washington Post, Greg Sargent, saying to NPR this morning that one of the things that happened in the meeting is that they, a senator, a colleague of his, said to the senior officials, um, What if uh, the President of the United States, President Trump, wanted to take out uh, the Supreme Leader of Iran? Um, and just decided I'm going to assassinate him. Do you need congressional authority for that? Because it's an obvious question. It's like the absurd question. The answer to that is, of course we need congressional authority. And instead they wouldn't answer. And he just thought that, that it just blew his mind. Um, that Such they're as it really, is. Yeah. That they're like reserving the option that they don't have to say that they need congressional authority. So uh, that is the, that's really where we're at. And, I, and, and it's productive to have seen this uh, tweet by John Bolton saying the War Powers Resolution is unconstitutional. It's, it's taking the mask off at the very minimum, so maybe we'll get some more bipartisan movement here and pushback.
1: It's quite a redefinition of the presidency that's going on here, Harry. And again, it's one of the reasons that I think, you know, whatever happens in the impeachment trial, there are other bigger fish to fry. Uh, and that is, you know, if you look at the Trump presidency and the case they're making— You're saying a president can't be indicted. You're saying that the president, uh, because he's that of the executive branch, has the sole ability to determine um, whether uh, anything that the president does is guilty. The president can determine whether or not to provide materials to Congress and can determine when not to cooperate with Congress and when what Congress is doing is um, um, permissible or or not permissible. The president has the sole authority to uh, declare war and to conduct foreign policy. The president can determine when he wants to provide information uh, to the Congress essential to its uh, uh, purse strings activities, ranging from his taxes to, as recently as today, uh, information about his golfing uh, expeditions, which they've now said that they do not wish to provide till after the election. If this goes unchallenged, Donald Trump will have done more to rewrite the Constitution and expand the powers of the presidency than anybody in U.S. history.
3: Stupefying, you know, you run out of words. You mentioned, talk, kindly mentioned Talking Feds at the top. I'm, we're going to tape tomorrow with Jack Goldsmith, Bob Bauer, former White House counsel, and Ryan's co-editor-in-chief, Steve Waddick, a podcast of po- Talking Feds on the topic. Has the presidency grown too powerful for the Constitution? It's it's a, you know, a point that, the, that this administration properly raises. Um, look, Ryan and Kate, uh, you know, I definitely defer to them in their knowledge of the kind of you know nuances of the national security problems. But, let me make two sort of nerdy constitutional points. the The first is the way these things often go in modern times is the President will do something precipitous or feels that he or she needs to, and then Congress will endorse it. And that matters all the time because there's a canonical Supreme Court opinion that basically says, there are three paradigms: one where Congress is approved, one where it's done nothing, and one where it's disapproved. And here we have the concrete possibility that it, that the original action was taken where, with no approval, and that there may even be now a subsequent disapproval, and that would really test, you know, that that proposition. The second thing, it's very kind of tangential, but they're going to make a very tricky. Argument on imminence, which is going to be um, going to sound completely counterintuitive, but the idea is if, if somebody means to do the U.S. harm and this is sort of last clear shot at him because he may, you know, go undercover and you never know if you'll get him uh, again, that will qualify for imminence. Query whether an executive power friendly judiciary up to the Supreme Court will embrace that kind of. You know, rewriting of the word um, uh, "imminence," but the your your basic point. You know, we we run out of adjectives. Uh, but at each turn, it's like, are you are you kidding? You know, I feel like my esteem comes out of my ears, and then and then they do it again and again and 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 it's a theme across so many areas, as, as you say. It is what really is on the line with with the judgment about impeachment and the general judgment about the Trump administration. It's, you know, do constitutional norms mean anything? That's not a not a trivial question.
1: One of the unfortunate realities of, of Washington is that when precedents are set, um, even those in the other party who expressed outrage at the precedents, uh, if they think they can use them to their advantage, employ them later on. Uh, and
3: totally. Oh, Clinton did so and so, so you know that's not impeachable. Well, if if Trump did so and so, and you know that's not impeachable, we're in a banana republic, right?
1: Well, I, 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 that's kind of what I'm getting at, Kate. You know, as we look at this, even in some of the things we've talked about here, shifts like, well, I don't know if there's any advantage to having Bolton testify. Well, there is an advantage if if the Senate doesn't have him testify, and and one of the advantages is. We'll learn the truth. And that the, the House of Representatives has a constitutional oversight responsibility in addition to its impeachment responsibility. And there's a whole you know, debate within the heart of the Democratic Party about how far do you go, how many articles of impeachment, what about the Mueller report. And in almost every turn, the Democrats have demurred, gone slow, gone small.
0: Well, even, um, you know, the law at question between these OMB and DOD emails is the Empowerment Control Act, which sounds wonky and it's not a criminal violation, but it's pretty important. It maintains Congress's constitutional authority to control the power of the purse. This is how we appropriated the money, and you are required to spend it that way. And that's what the Pentagon is telling OMB over and over again, is if you're going to do this, you have to notify Congress, otherwise we're violating the law. And if the Republicans, you know, decide, well, it's that's okay. You can violate the Payment Control Act. I mean, they're ceding power right and left. And... Um, You know, uh, the other uh, point I wanted to make, you were talking about precedent with the Soleimani strike. Foreign countries, uh, you know, we've also just set a precedent of of who you can kill. And foreign countries now, I mean, would have the right to say, well, the United States did it. Like, we've just pushed the legal envelope further, um, you know, on who's fair game for targeted killing. Um, And that's quite, quite scary as well.
1: Well, there are other th- parts of that. You know, I, I, We could go on and on, and we are running out of time here. But, Ryan, another part of it is that because Trump, I think, overreached with the Soleimani thing and really escalated things to the point of uh, near catastrophe and where war was around the, the corner, um, there are unintended um, standards that get moved. For example, the Iranians launched missiles from Iran into Iraq to hit this airbase and we you know are like okay that's not a, that's you know that's that's not a problem no americans were killed and 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 so forth and we want to tamp down i mean i even see on twitter you know there's a lot of discussion about this ukrainian plane that got apparently shot down by the iranians and I think some people, including uh, uh, Representative uh, uh, Spear, Jackie Spear of California, said something to the effect of, you know, this is collateral damage of, of Trump's um, actions. Um, and, and a number of people are like, oh, no, don't say that. That's a politically inappropriate thing to say. Well, they wouldn't have been shooting down airplanes over Iran if Soleimani hadn't been attacked. You know, they, they, they didn't shoot down any airplanes you know, in the couple of years prior to that. So, you know, something had changed and we changed it. Uh, So, you know, there are a lot of unintended consequences and and unintended shifts that that go along with this, don't you think, Ryan?
2: Yes, and I think they're going to be with us for years upon years upon years. Um, Especially because, I mean, the American public's uh, memory is so short, but the rest of the world is quite long, and they and they remember. So, the Soleimani killing is going to last forever <laughs> for our lifetimes. Um, in the in the Middle East, there's no way that this thing is over. Um, I do think that you know the Iranians saying that they've concluded their response is, of course, what they need to say um, if they're not going to claim responsibility for some other actions that will start taking place that are not attributable or easily attributable to them. Um, so theirs was a show of force to say these are you know, ballistic missiles coming straight out of Iran, and we're taking responsibility for them. And uh, the United States' relationship to the region, um, based on what Kate had said, like the idea that we can now um, apply what used to be the more um, forward-leaning... Uh, aggressive approach to targeted killings with the global war on terror and then importing it into state-to-state relations so that the United States can assassinate or take out um, the second highest leader of another country. And that's our relationship to that world. Uh, It's just unbelievable what the downstream consequences of that will be, um, and I'm not even sure how they can be so easily restored or put it back in the bottle, With a, even if this administration is replaced by a, um, a much better one, uh, because they now have to think, well, these kinds of people can come to power in the United States, and this is what they do, or this is what they've always done, but they just had their, you know, they did it more openly. Um, and I think that's, so just this, this one action that was decided in the moment by Trump, uh, now apparently reportedly being um, convinced of it by Pompeo, has all of these incredible effects um, that are not over as of uh, this week.
1: Yeah, I, you know I think the best validation of your point, not that it requires additional validation, uh, is that much of this was started in motion when the United States via the CIA, CIA, determined to remove the leader of Iran in 1953 through Operation Ajax, uh, motivated by some old British issues pertaining to oil. Um, But we are today seeing headlines and casualties and tensions in the world that directly relate back to that overreach. Um, So, difficult to to sort of say, oh, this story is over, which is the temptation that many people have had, and, and the administration has certainly sold. We have a minute left. Harry, you've already told us sort of what's on your next talking feds. Anything else we should look forward to in 20 seconds? I'm going to ask the same to Kate and to Ryan about just security. So, any Anything else? we yes, should, we, should...
3: We, got, I, I, we did an experiment. We want it to be like dynamic at a roundtable. I did a national security one with Juliet Kayyem and Malcolm Nance, people very well known to, to Ryan and Kate, without me. I just said, you guys talk, and I'm not even there, so it'll be an experiment a round table. in a genuine roundtable. That'll be on in a couple weeks.
1: The getting rid of the host is a terrible idea for podcasts. <laughs> Gonna, as soon as there's a host union, I'm going to immediately protest this idea. Um, probably a very good idea. Sounds like great people. What do you have coming next, Kate? Something exciting?
0: I hope so. Personally, I hope to have another scoop like last week, but I can't guarantee <laughs> you that right now. Um, but at Just Security, we have an amazing event coming up at NYU next week um, that was inspired by the IG report on um, the Carter Page FISA warrant. I don't know if Ryan's talked about it before on the podcast, but um, we've got Andy McCabe will be here, um, Andrew Weissman from the Mueller team, and Julian Sanchez, and who am I forgetting, Ryan.
2: Lisa, uh, Liza, Liza
0: uh, Oh yeah, and so from all different sides of the spectrum, from the government, from libertarian, like talking about, um, you know, what do we learn from that report, and what what should actually, what can we agree to, and what can be reformed.
1: So why did why didn't you mention this to us, Ryan?
2: Because
0: <laughs> um, it's open to the public.
2: <laughs> oh, it's open to <laughs> the public. Yeah, it's at <laughs> it's at noon on Thursday, so a week from today at NYU, and uh, one other person. Um, on the panel is the moderator is Adam Server. So uh, really just um, an embarrassment of riches in terms of the minds that will be there. So it's from 12 to 1.30. I was going to mention the exact same thing as Kate. That event is kind of a marquee event that we're really excited about, especially because it's going at the FISA reform issue from a nonpartisan way.
1: Now, by the way, you do expect that Kate will be producing scoops like last week every week, right? I mean, that's the expectation now. (laughs) At Just Security.
2: Well, once a a fortnight. We're not that demanding.
1: Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) You got plenty of time. I see her scribbling away with her blue crayon. (laughs) Something, (laughs) something big is is happening here. Next week, we will announce um, a project that we are undertaking with a number of organizations, including Talking Feds and Just Security, which will be a live event that's going to take place in Washington D.C. Um, and it ah. will take place later in the spring, and everybody will be invited, and it will be spectacular and probably the best experience of anyone's life. Um Where uh, are you, <laughs> Lindsey Graham? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsey Graham will compliment each one of you as you enter, personally. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and we will give you the details of it next week, but it's going to be in May. It's going to be Great. Um, really exciting, very different from anything else going on in Washington, and all these folks will be involved, and that's another reason I'm sure it's going to be spectacular. So tune in next week. Find out how you, as a listener to this podcast, or uh, you'll you'll have the same opportunity through Harry's podcast and a few others, will be able to get uh, the first seats and the limited number of seats there and uh, better price and everything else. So... It's all real exciting, and if you want more information on what we're doing, go to the DSRnetwork.com, Uh go to Just Security, uh, go to Talking Feds. Uh, you will get more of the great insights you've gotten today. Um, for now, let me say thank you very much, and congratulations, Kate. Uh, thank you, Ryan, as ever. Thank you, Harry. Come back soon, um, and good luck at, at your event next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.
3: Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much.